Good morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. So, we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is three chapters long. It's Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and now we're in Matthew 7. So, we're kind of on the, the back end of the Sermon on the Mount. We still have a few more weeks to go. Um, I, you know, I'm, I've been, I was thinking about this the last few days. As you and I come together to worship on Sundays. Uh, we're studying together the Sermon on the Mount, which I've said almost every week. It's, it's all red letters in three chapters. It's Jesus speaking to us. It, words being spoken directly out of His mouth, the Son of the living God. I've said that the Sermon on the Mount is the instruction manual for the Christian. You know, it's, how do we live our lives as Christians? Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. We've also seen how counterculture the Sermon on the Mount is how different it is from, from culture, from society, from the world. It's, it's very different. And so what, one of the things the Sermon on the Mount is capable of doing for every single person in this room is it allows every single one of us to take a step back and put things into perspective. We are the body of Christ, the church. We didn't establish the church. We didn't start the church in any way. Jesus himself established the church. And the Bible says he is the head of the body, the church. And so as a Christian, now as an individual in the very seat that you're sitting in, if you've been reading through the Sermon on the Mount in your own time, or studying through it, taking notes, whatever it is that you do, you're able to analyze your own life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Am I following Jesus the way I'm, I'm supposed to? Am I doing my due diligence as a follower of Jesus? Am I living according to these words? Am I being obedient to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? Nate keeps saying, these are all red letters. These are words being spoken directly out of the mouth of Jesus. Am I obeying these words? Am I living in a way that Jesus instructs me to live? Point blank, am I walking in the way of Jesus? I can tell you one thing, the world, culture, society, they don't walk in the way of Jesus. You might think, well, of course, if they're a non-believer, they're not walking in the way of Jesus, but this Sermon on the Mount is for Christians. It's for you and me. And the question you need to ask yourself is, am I walking in the way of Jesus? It's interesting because when the world looks at you and me, the church, they judge us. You know that, right? The world looks at us and they cast judgment. And you know why I think they do that? Because the church first judges the world. We look at the world and we judge. We are very quick to judge non-believers. The problem is we don't always practice what we preach. We don't always live by what we say. I think we're all guilty of that. We're not perfect. We love Jesus. We're here. We want to worship our God. But we don't always practice what we preach. We don't always live by what we say. And so we're perceived on the outside of the church, whatever you want to call it, culture, people of other faith, they look at us and they tell us that we are a judgmental people. And that's terrifying. That should not be the case. And I think part of the problem is Christians across the country, you could say across the globe, 
we identify ourselves. There are people who identify themselves as followers of Jesus Christ. If you went up to someone and say, hey, are you a Christian? Absolutely, I'm a Christian. I was raised in the church. I know the story of Moses, you know, Noah's Ark. I know a boat and all the animals in a flood. I mean, yes, absolutely. Genesis, Revelation, I'm a Christian, of course. But they don't practice what they preach. They don't do what they say. Just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't make them a Christian. So the perception that the world has, or you could say non-believers, have on the church it needs to change. They should not be looking at us saying we are a judgmental people. And I believe that Jesus leads us into that direction of how we can make an effort towards changing that as the church. So Matthew chapter 7. You know, these are pretty famous words, honestly. These are well-known words. They can be often misunderstood, but I would argue that, and I've even heard this, seen this, that maybe Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, it might be one of the most well-known or well-recognized verses for non-believer. Non-Christians know verse 1 and verse 2. So let's read it together. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 1, Jesus continues to speak. He says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we'll stop there. You ever called somebody out on something? It doesn't matter who it is. They could be a, a Muslim. It doesn't matter who it is. Have you ever called somebody out on something and their response was something like this? Judge not lest you be judged. You ever heard that before? Or only God can judge me. We, only God can judge me. Just back off. Oh, judge not lest you be judged. Only God can judge me. It's the kind of mentality where, hey, I'm going to do me. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to perceive the world the way I perceive the world. I'm going to do, act, and say, and think the way I choose. I'm going to do me. You do you. I mind my business. You mind your business. I don't judge you. You don't judge me. There's things going on in my life that I don't want to be held accountable for, so I'm not going to call you out on anything. We'll just mind our own business. You do you, and I do me. Only God will judge me. Now, you can't say that about me. Only God can judge me. You ever heard that before? Maybe you've said that before. I know I have. Now, I don't want to get myself in trouble, so I'm just going to, I'm not going to, you know, pay attention to when you fall short. Jesus, by the way, he's not giving us permission to excuse bad behavior. That's one thing we'll learn today. However, he is giving us a mirror. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Here's the truth. The Bible is clear. All of Scripture, well, Scripture tells us Every single person who has ever lived on the face of this earth will stand in the judgment seat of Christ. Believer and non-believer. Christian, non-Christian. Christian, Muslim. Every single person who has ever lived on the face of the planet will sit at the judgment seat of Christ. We will be judged by God. That's what Scripture tells us. But it doesn't excuse us to judge others harsh judgment. Think about your life. Now this is you as an individual. Has Jesus judged you in such a harsh judgment with, with such harsh judgment and a condemning spirit? Has Jesus looked at you and judged you so harshly 
that you couldn't take it? No, he hasn't. He shed his blood for you on the cross. He was hung on a wooden tree and died a death that you and I deserved so that we wouldn't be condemned by God. We were saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. If you're in Christ, if you've been baptized with him in his death, burial, and resurrection, all of your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. Nobody can change that. Jesus has made a way for us to be swept out from under the wrath of God. We deserved harsh punishment. We did. But Jesus took that punishment on for us. He paid the penalty of sin and death for every single believer and every person who would call him by his name. But we all, we all deserve judgment because of our sin. That's, that's the reality of the world. Remember what Isaiah said. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. We deserve the worst of all punishment as sinners. We deserve the worst of all condemnation because of our sin. Yet God had mercy on us. us. God had mercy on you, Christian. He willingly gave up His Son, His only Son, to die a death that every single one of us deserved to die because of our sin. Not because we were a bad person or we made bad mistakes or, you know, we, maybe we shouldn't have, we drank too much one night or, you know, no, that, we deserve death on the cross because, or death, period, because of our sin. And Jesus paid that penalty of death. And all of your sins are nailed to that cross with him. And his blood was shed for your salvation and mine. No longer condemned by God, but embraced. We're no longer slaves to our sin, but free. We have the ability to be free from it because of Christ. And we are no longer enemies of God, but children of God. That is the grace and mercy of our Heavenly Father. So Jesus, he, what he's saying is, hey, if you want to judge people because you, you think they're living in a way you don't think is right, that's totally fine. That's okay. Just know that you'll be judged with the exact same measure that you judge them. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? You know, you really shouldn't curse. You know, I'm, I've been hanging around you and you're just always cursing. You know, you're using this foul language. And, and why are you always smoking those cigarettes? You know, you smoke, you're just always, you're a Christian. You're supposed to look different. You're supposed to look clean. And you're always smoking those cigarettes. Well, and you're cursing. You know what? You were talking the other day that you watch Game of Thrones on HBO. You know there's nudity on that show, right? You know it, 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 it uh, defiles it, human lives. and It just it makes, it de- demeans women in that show. There's a lot of foul. I can't believe you watch. You say you're a Christian, but I can't believe you watch that show. And you're a Christian? You're a follower of Jesus and you do those things? Yet all the while, God's looking at you saying, you know what? You've lusted 18 times since you woke up this morning. It's not even lunchtime. You were impatient with a server at a restaurant. And there was no need. You were sarcastic. You were condescending. You were rude. The line was too long at the grocery store because some people, they were sick and they couldn't come to work and they were just frustrated, just grunting all the time, angry, really short with the a clerk. But nobody saw that. You were by yourself. 
God's saying, look, you'll be measured with, judged with the same measure you judge other people. Are you ready for that? Jesus is saying there is a zero tolerance for having a judgmental spirit. In fact, it's interesting because the ones that Jesus was actually judging the most were the most religious of them all, the Pharisees and the scribes. If you were to go to Luke chapter 11, Jesus is having dinner at a Pharisee's house. (laughs) The religious leaders hated that. The fact that the Messiah, the one who claimed to be God himself, was, was eating at a Pharisee's house? Are you kidding me? Blasphemer. So Jesus is having dinner at the Pharisee's house, and no doubt there are other Pharisees, or sinners as they call them. And to sum up that text, I'll just say this. You guys, Jesus looks at these men, these Pharisees, these scribes, the ones judging Jesus, and he says, you guys polish yourselves on the outside for the sake of perception. Yet on the inside, you're full of greed and wickedness, you fools. You give God a tenth of your wealth each month, but you neglect justice and actual love for God. You care more about prestige and credentials and the allure of being spiritual, but really, anyone you come into contact with, you just defile with your own hypocrisy and lies. Uh, one of the legal experts, it was very informed in law, he looked at Jesus and he said, you know, Jesus, you're really insulting us. You're being really critical of us. And Jesus looks back at that guy and says, oh, you you expert in the law, you're very informed in the law. Yeah, you. Woe to you also. You discourage people with the weightiness of the law, which has become too heavy a burden for anyone to carry. And you don't even lift a finger to help. In other words, Jesus frowns upon judging unjustly, doesn't he? He says, don't do it. Don't judge unjustly. We can be so critical of other people. We can. I think we're all guilty of this. We can be so critical of other people, but blinded by our own hypocrisy. Let's just do some inventory real quick. Have you ever made a mistake? Maybe you let something slip. You know, you didn't mean to do it. It's kind of an accident, but maybe you you were your spouse or a coworker or a friend or, you know, and you just made a mistake. And that person that you're with gets on to you. <laughs> again, you did it again. You know you're not supposed to do that. Why, why'd you do that? You did it again, really, again? And it's interesting, because this happens to me. It's interesting, because our words are usually, well, if you wouldn't have, fill in the blank. What? Well, if you just wouldn't have, blank, fill in the blank. You know, if you would have... You should have moved it before we got in the car. If you, if, well, if you would have just... We always point fingers, don't we? We always we, we point fingers at, you're the problem. You know, this, that wouldn't have happened if, if you would have... Well, if you wouldn't have... And uh, if many of us are honest, it's hard to take the blame for, for the mistakes that we make, for our shortcomings. We would just rather point the finger. That's easier. We'll even go down a long rabbit trail to figure out why that happened. Well, six days ago, you know, we had that conversation. I know you remember, remember, you know, we were standing here, and you were wearing that, and we were eating that, and if you wouldn't have said that, then this wouldn't have happened. 
it's easy to point fingers at people. Here's the thing. Jesus isn't saying not to identify a sin as a sin. He's not saying that. And we're going to see that here in a second. But what he is saying is, if you're going to call a brother or a sister out for a sin or a shortcoming, or, you better have already taken inventory on yourself. Verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We can become so focused on other people's glitch, hiccup, habit, sin, shortcoming, that we don't even see we have a crisis ourselves. We're quick to tell others that they need a Band-Aid when we need emergency surgery. Hey, I couldn't help but notice you have a splinter. I was looking across the room. I saw this. Hey, let me, uh, let me go get some tweezers. Let me, let me help you get that splinter out of your uh, elbow or wherever you get splinters. And all the while, you have a giant log in your face. Does this sound familiar? Hey, let me help you with your splinter real quick. Yeah, I think maybe you need a Band-Aid. Let me go get you a Band-Aid all the while you're bleeding out of your face. You need to be rushed to the ER for emergency surgery because you have a log in your face. The truth is, you may have a loving heart. You may want to help people. And you may want to change the world and make it a better place. But Jesus is saying you're not in a position to call someone else's iniquities out or their sin until you've dealt with your own. And I think that there's an elephant in the room between each one of us in this room and the spirit of the living God. And it's the sin in your life and mine that has to be dealt with. Others may not know it. They may not know it. But God knows it. And often, when you have a log in your face, it's hard to see that your own sin is blinding you. You're just used to it. It's, it's been there. Interesting, when we look at Levitical law in the Old Testament. Old Testament Jewish law was such a high standard. If you look at it, it the bar was set so high, wasn't it? 600-something laws. But it's not like the bar isn't set high in the New Testament. Jesus came and fulfilled the law. and where We think oftentimes that, well, you know, Jesus, he fulfilled the law and and, uh, you know, he, he established a new covenant, and, and so uh, he, he's forgiven me of my sins, and, you know, I, and I've been baptized, and, you know, I, I grew up in the church, and, you know, I come to church pretty often, not every week, and, you know, but, uh, but Jesus, he, he forgave me of my sin, and so I'm solid, I'm good no matter what, and, and we think that Jesus doesn't set a high standard either, but, but he does, because Jesus says, look, you think that uh, murder is a sin, but I say if you have anger in your heart, you're a sinner, you think to, to sleep with someone, uh, you know, even though you're married or I, I'm telling you right now, you, if you have lust in your heart, you've already sinned. You think Jesus hasn't set the bar high? Jesus says no anger, no lust, no worry, no love of money, and now no judgment. These things aren't meant to be overlooked. It, 
You know how ridiculous it would, it would be if I came up to you saying, hey, I, I saw some sawdust in your face, and I just want to help you get that sawdust out of your face, all the while I have a giant two-by-four in mine? Wouldn't that be awkward? You'd probably have some questions. You might even laugh me outside of this room. And Jesus, he even says in verse 5, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. But before we point fingers at other people, take inventory of yourself. Look in the mirror every now and then. Am I living in a way that is honoring of God? Am I being a good example of righteousness? Am I obeying the Sermon on the Mount? Am I obeying what Jesus says? Take daily inventory of yourself. King David did. You know, King David, he wasn't just this always this glorious king of Israel. He was a, a shepherd out in the field, and he wasn't even, uh, according to man's standard, they never would have picked David to be king over Israel. But God had a plan for David. And even though God had a plan for David, David still fell short. He still sinned. He was not a perfect man. And so David took inventory of himself. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Do you take daily inventory of yourself? Either you are so deep in a life of sin or the Holy Spirit is just dormant in your life or you're just neglecting the truth altogether. You're just, whatever the case, it's time for you to wake up and remove the log out of your eye. Jesus doesn't always say things that are sunshine and rainbows, does he? He has some serious truth for his people. Because when you remove the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And that is a good thing. That is not a bad thing. That is a good thing. Jesus has not once said, don't call a sin a sin. He's not saying that. He's not saying don't identify the sin in another person's life, a brother and sister. It's not sinful to do that. Simply recognizing that something's wrong doesn't automatically constitute it as passing judgment. In fact, if you remember, God is the one who has determined the judgment. He's the one who's written the moral code on the human heart. So in essence, what Jesus is teaching us today is if you're going to judge someone, if you're going to judge a brother and sister in the faith, judge them in a way that you would like to be judged. If you can dish it out, you better be ready to take it. When you've sinned, when you've done something wrong, whether you've lied or cheated or stolen or you got angry in a grocery store or you got impatient with a waiter or you got mad at the mailman because he didn't deliver the package on the day that, that it said and you got that email. Maybe you drank too much a couple of times. Would you feel loved if someone came up to you and condemned your behavior, made you feel like you were less than them? I don't think that you would. I know I wouldn't. If I fell short, somebody came up to me and made me feel like the worst person in the room, I would not feel good. What if instead of condemnation, there was a measure of grace shown? What if you were given the benefit of the doubt? Back in the 1950s and 60s, uh, 
the CEO of IBM was Tom Watson, not the golfer Tom Watson, but CEO of IBM, early 50s and 60s. And one of Tom Watson's executives at IBM had made a $10 million mistake. He cost IBM $10 million. Now, that's a lot of money today, of course. In the 1950s, that's, that's an incredible amount of money. And this man made a mistake that cost the company $10 million. So he's like, I'm getting fired. That's no, there's no question about it. So Tom Watson calls for this ex executive to come visit him in his office. He's got his letter of resignation already sealed in an envelope. This guy walks in, hey, I'm, I'm guessing you're calling me in here to fire me. Tom Watson looked at him and said, fire you? Are you kidding me? I just, edu I just educated you for $10 million. I can't afford to fire you. Get back to work. Now that level of grace I don't think is really seen ever in corporate America. But wouldn't that be amazing if that was the kind of grace that we showed each other? It doesn't matter how big the mistake is, how much you fell short, how great the sin was. What, what, if, what if someone showed you grace instead of condemnation? Wouldn't that be nice? Because this is the kind of grace that God has shown us. When he died on a tree for your sin and mine, a death that you and I deserved, God said, you know what, I've had a redemption plan since day one. I'm going to sacrifice my own son. His blood will be shed on that cross for the sins of the world, and all who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. There's never been grace given to that magnitude. And Jesus is saying, look, you're going to judge your brothers and sisters. Not only expect it in return, but don't, ha don't do it unjustly. Is what he's saying. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So this is what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians. If anyone is caught in a transgression, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. To ignore the sins of others would be to deny them love. Don't deny the needs of other people. That's selfish. Be an advocate for other people. Like Jesus is our advocate. We should be an advocate for each other. To, to deny the sins of other people is selfish. It's to deny them love. We need correction in our lives. Sometimes we, we, we drift from the path that God has set for us. We need a loving family, a brother and sister in Christ to help us get back on that path. We want to lead each other to life. We want to lead each other to joy. We want to lead each other to purpose and to peace. We want to give each other grace. We want to act in love and not look at people and judge them. As if we're more righteous than they are. So if someone is stuck in a sin, have enough love for them as a brother and sister in the faith, as a part of the same family of God, to lovingly point out their sin and help them lead them in the way that is right, in the way that is good, in the way that is pure, in the way that is pleasing and honoring of God. 
We should all want that for our lives, and we should want that for each other. And look what Paul says. Keep watch on yourself. Can you go back to that verse? Galatians 6. Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But then he says, what? Keep watch on yourself. Inventory of yourself. The sawdust or the speck or the splinter in somebody else's eye or elbow or ever should not be addressed, Jesus is saying, until the log in your own eye is dealt with. Do inventory of yourself first. Be like David. Ask God to help you. See what you can't maybe see right now. This is where we go to God in prayer, our Heavenly Father who gives us everything that we need, who wants us to be on that right path in a way that is honoring of Him. God, help me see what I don't see. Help me fix what is wrong in me, where I'm falling short, where I'm sinning against you, where I'm sinning against my brother and sister. Father, help me to correct that in my life. Lead me in the way that is everlasting. Take daily inventory of yourself. We're going to end by worshiping together, and then I'll close us out in prayer. Um, You can go ahead and stand, and I just want to say, look, I'm going to stand up here. If if you are just having a bad week, life has just got you down, you don't feel like God is for you right now, and you want to talk to someone, I'll be up here. I would love to talk with you, pray with you. Of course, you can always visit our prayer room and go pray there. We're in this together, church. Don't do life alone. Don't follow Jesus alone. You're not meant to. This is a family affair. And know that your heavenly Father adores you, loves you, shed his blood on the cross for you so that you could be free and forgiven and have eternal life. 